days have been really hot. So have the nights and so have the mornings. And Thursday started a 24-hour fast. Well, I would say that would be in Wednesday night. 10.30. So Thursday night, 10.30 would have been 24 hours. And then I broke my fast with water at around 6.30, I would say. So that would have been 24 plus 8 hours. So 24 plus 8 is so 32 hours. I broke my dry fast because I couldn't just I couldn't handle how how dry I felt, how dry, uncomfortable, and easy, and just dazed. Dazed was the feeling. But I drank and that was fine. And then the rest of the morning, you know what I'm doing is I'm I'm a little bit late with my uploading of every single day, even though I'm taking these these podcasts, these episodes, and recording it every single day to actually upload them takes a little bit longer. But once I had some water in my body, um, I was feeling fine. I had to actually have a mixture in the beginning, hot tea of garlic and turmeric and goji berries and, and dates and a little bit of honey because something is wrong with my liver or the right side. I'm believing it's my liver, but something on the right side underneath my right ribs has been sinking and I just don't know what that is. I don't know what's wrong. It's been happening over the past two weeks, I feel, very, very slowly. And I don't know if it's posturally. It feels like my ribs are sinking down into my right hip and it's still bugging me. Even when I lie down on my left side, I feel like my right side gets squashed. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to say it's painful, but it's really uncomfortable, like I have to keep moving. But if I'm lying on my right side and I feel like, okay, everything is flat and everything is fine, I'm not sure what's, what that is. I don't know what that is. That What is it that is affecting me? Mm. So I had to drink something hot and with garlic and I felt so much better. I don't know. Mm. And then I was fine. And then at uh, one o'clock, I went to the studio and I'm teaching a refugee um, yoga. It was very short because I, we only had 45 minutes and I did fine there. I mean, I could do the sun salutations and it was, there was no problem, so I was alright. And then I went to my parents' place and it was by that time it was already three at three o'clock and I was like I need another drink and then I ate like three oranges because I'm like yeah it's about time I break my fast so then by that time by three o'clock it would have been 40 hours okay Ooh, I didn't really count that okay so then it's been 40 hours without food until I had those oranges found some walnuts and pumpkin seeds which were really nice as well and I did some body work on my sister-in-law who was having a shoulder issue I had to usually and I think I mentioned this in an episode usually I'd like to do the body work before I break my fast 
but because the day has been hot and because of this very strange ache and I already had done a 45 minute yoga class I figured you know what I don't need to push myself I want to be there completely there for my sister-in-law so and it was it was a very challenging session there's something like she has a knot in her shoulder sort of in like in between the shoulder blade and her ribs oh so hard to get but we work around the area and I mean she feels she feels a lot better and I know there's so much more to it I think that especially for mothers I really feel for mothers I really do I have so much heart for mothers I think in the beginning I it, it wasn't I wasn't like this before because I feel that I felt I wasn't like this before because I felt that you know if you if you chose to be a mom you know the amount of sacrifice of your time and your energy for your child and the amount the lack of sleep as well and the challenges that come with it it's not obviously it's not easy but a lot of mothers want to have children you know a lot of women want to have children a lot of families want to have children and so I mean it's it's a hard place because they want to have children but there are a lot of families who would have children but they would prefer not to raise the child they just want to have the child um, and then the ones who are very adamant about raising the child to the point of just the whole body breaking down which is very much my my sister-in-law is a very good example of someone who's wanted children and the whole body just breaks down you know the saying you need a village to raise a child it's true you need a community to raise a child you one person can't do it on their own for sure there's no way and so my little niece gets to visit all of us um, goes to baby daycare and and then my sister-in-law gets to rest which is good and so the body work isn't just body work I know deep down also it's just to be touched I know deep down as well it's just to have some me time some quality time where she gets to feel her body and gets to be with her herself you know away from everyone and I get to facilitate that I'm happy to facilitate it and be a part of her healing and be a part of her pampering and her me self is so important and then I spend some time with my mom and my dad because I do the body work in my parents' house because we happen to have a massage table there so you know we hung out with my sister-in-law and then she had to leave and then I sat down with my mom I asked her what she was doing for Lent and she said the most incredible thing I mean the reason why I stayed also was because she was asked to write about her experience as a volunteer um, coming to Sarawa and and her volunteerism I didn't even know there was a word volunteerism? volunteerism um, I don't know if I got that right so you're working on that um, 
for as long as I can remember. I would say from when I was maybe 14, 15, I always wrote my mom's um, letters or articles because my mom is from South America and English is not her first language, obviously. And whenever she had to write for an article or she had to write letters, she was a general manager once, um, so she had to write formal letters, I would be the one writing them for her and correcting them in English um, if she ever did write them. So she did ask a few days beforehand that she really needed help in writing this, and I said, well, I'm going to go over anyway for a bodywork session with my sister-in-law, so I might as well just stick around and then just, I'll do it, don't worry. And so she said, great, that was awesome, and um, my mom is funny, she, <laughs> I'll ask her, like, so, okay, tell me, what do you need? And then she says, I don't know, <laughs> and she goes, okay, well, my friend wants to write about what it was like when I arrived in Sarawa, as well as, you know, volunteers, and I'm like, okay. What she likes and what makes it easier for her is I ask a bunch of questions. Basically, I'm interviewing her, she answers, and then I just type it out. And after we've gotten all the facts, I said, okay, it's nice that we have all the facts of everything that you've done and your timeline, but why do you continue to do it? What makes it that you need to do it? And she talked about how, you know, from when she was very young, it was, it was already at a very young age when she was at school that she practiced volunteerism basically in school where, you know, one comes together with the school and, you know, they paint the school and they clean the school, all these little things. So I brought up the topic of Gotonorion, which is community-based work. So it could be a whole village or most of the time we learn it in school, so the whole school comes together, we all get to the school, paint the school, you know, clean the garden, fix things all together. It could be a community at the beach, for example, if we're doing a beach cleanup. Um, if we're doing a beach cleanup, then the community comes along and we all come together to clean up the beach. And then my dad said something really interesting because I didn't really, I didn't actually know the difference. So my dad said, Goto Oryong is community-based. My mom said, yes, but it is for the entire community when you are cleaning up things together, fixing things together, making the village or the town or the area livable for everyone. So say for example for the beach, when you're cleaning up the whole beach, you're doing it for everyone. So you're doing it for everyone and yourself. Wow, that bird is really loud. You're not only doing it for everyone, you're also doing it for yourself. You know, because you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? In Okotomoriyong. I've never heard this bird before. That is definitely a different bird in the neighborhood. So, to be a volunteer, right, is different because, first off, one doesn't need to have a community to do everything together, number one. Number two, 
Golden rings are not done regularly. It's something that happens once a month, once every three months, once a year even. To be a volunteer is something that is done a lot more regularly. Number one. Number two, it can be done pretty much alone. Number three, you receive nothing. You know that what you're volunteering in is that you're giving your time and energy to something or someone and you're probably not going to get any anything back apart from a thank you or a smile i never thought of this i never thought of this it's interesting because i think everybody knows i'm already rolling my eyes thinking about this that being a volunteer and helping people you're doing a good deed. You're doing a good deed because it's good. You're doing a good deed because you're, you're helping someone or helping something without any asking anything in return. That's the whole point of doing a good deed for someone else, right? Almsgiving, right? We're talking very much about almsgiving. You give without asking for anything in return. You give without expecting anything in return. Well, my mom has been doing it for 40 odd years now. And she said, really? Seeing the smile on somebody's face is more than enough. When they say thank you and you see how it, what you've done has brought them joy is more than enough. And that's why my mom continues to do it. And I told her, and then I told her, you know, these are things that needs to be part of the story because not everybody volunteers. We do it in my family because it's something that we grew up with. So I told my mom that what we do at home is a very strong habit to help others it's something that we grew up with but it's not something that everybody else grows up with it's definitely not something that is embedded in everybody else's household and the reason why i say that is because i know enough families where they they don't get it they don't understand it they don't believe in it. They don't believe in helping. A lot of the times they believe that you know it is their fate. So any kind of suffering is karma. It's their fate. Then I reminded my mother about one of my favorite volunteer moments was to massage a woman who was dying of cancer. I mean, she was already at the end of her stage. Like, she was just right at the end. And there was nothing left but bones and skin on her. She was obviously in a lot of pain, and I went to massage her. And she was young, early 40s, I think. You wouldn't have seen it from her, the way she looked. She looked a lot older. But she was leaving behind a husband and kids. She was so happy that I touched her. That I had absolutely no problems touching her. I'm going to segue for a moment. I had to close the windows. Because of the sounds outside. If it wasn't a bird. It was somebody coughing. If it wasn't somebody coughing. It was a motorcycle. Oh, I can feel my whole body. It just feels so. So upset and tired. It honestly makes me want to cry. It makes me want to cry that the noise just doesn't end. Do you notice the sound pollution around you? It's constant. 
sometimes it sounds good like that bird outside but it just cuts my train of thought when I hear these sounds it just cuts my train of thought anyway let's um, continue so there are two kinds of stigmas around massaging someone with cancer number one touching somebody with cancer the feeling as if if you were to touch somebody with cancer it would be contagious and you would you would get it that's one number two assuming that the cancer would spread in someone's body because the whole thing with massage is that you're building circulation right so when you're building circulation in your body um, things flow so they just assume that that just makes the cancer cells flow and the tumor flow into other parts of the body which is so ridiculous but that's what it is and I've attended a workshop on massage for, for cancer and it was good my mentor was talking about it and, you know she does do massage and was a nurse and she's like yeah it's it's good for cancer patients to get a massage and this particular woman it was obvious she didn't have long to go so massaging her was a joy to see her face light up and her smile just so grateful I mean that's really more than enough like I felt that I was doing my job and I was there on purpose that was wonderful so I told my mom that you know not everyone has that same wanting to help they don't some of them refuse to because they feel like I said it's karmic you know they deserve it the suffering that they're going through some of them believe it's like a conspiracy you know they might steal something from you they'll take you for granted they'll take advantage of you and I mean these are good valid reasons because it does happen but not all the time there are good souls out there that need help just a little bit of your time a little bit of your energy and a little bit of your love so the second thing that we talked about was my mom's past she had a really tough past which maybe I'll talk about another day but I wanted to keep this short it has very much to do with her parents which are both have passed and gone but she hasn't had the chance to be able to let go oh I even remember why we even talked about it because I was asking her what she was doing for Lent and she says that she wants to let go 40 days she wants to let go of negative thoughts she wants to let go of these negative thoughts and emotions she wants to be able to let go of it because she can see it like as they rise and it really affects her so we talked about it and especially because my niece is uh, six years old so and it's her first granddaughter and she sees her granddaughter being six and she's like you know this is when it all happened this is when the abuse started when I was six and to see this child at six years old how young she was and how you know a child that age doesn't deserve to be abused and that was my mom and she started telling stories about her mother and her father and now I have been the most luckiest amongst all of us kids in the family as the eldest 
I also got to witness my mom as a daughter. Nobody else would have gotten to see, see that. I happen to have spent a year in South America, but I spent three months with my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather, probably just a few days, a week or so in Colombia. Uh, my grandmother was in Venezuela. So I spent more time with her actually, almost like almost three months. And I told my mom that I got to serve her, not just as a mother, but I got to observe her as a daughter, as an auntie, as a cousin, as a niece, as a sister. When she was there, when we were both there in 2006, I said, you know, I'm the only one who got to see that. I got to see also what happened and I have my own story that might be different from hers. I got to see their pain, my grandparents' pain, the guilt and the shame that they also had. I got to see that. So she asked me to write, write it down, write it as a story so that she could heal. Because her heart is not healing, but she's feeling all this, all this emotion and all this pain that still comes up, and even more so now. We talked about it too. As you get older, it's either you get really dried up and just empty, or you feel so much more. And it was most likely that my mom was going to feel so much more, so much emotions coming up that she's been suppressing all these years, her whole life. So I said I wouldn't write it for her. And that would have been my volunteerism. Two things, actually. It really made me think about like fasting to strip away negative thoughts. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> that is so hard. If I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's, that's harder than fasting from food. That's harder from fasting from social media. Fasting from negative thoughts, being aware of them and trying to let them go. That does not come easy. And one cannot do it alone. So I told my mom that if I can help her let go of these negative thoughts, I'll do it. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's not just volunteerism, it's my mother. And I do feel that like, if I can get her to heal, because she's been, she's 66 now and she's been carrying it for more than 60 years, this pain. If I can get her to heal, I feel like that is my almsgiving, that is volunteering. But also, if I can help her heal on this journey, she'll be healing all the past generations before her and she'll be healing all the generations after her as well. We are building the bricks and the lives of our generations coming next, which currently is my niece. I also feel that it needs to be documented because my my niece, when I see her, I just see this beautiful, creative child. She's so beautiful and creative and so much her own. She's a little bit nuts. And what I worry is that, like, She's six. She hasn't even gone to a normal school yet. When she gets to normal school, oh my god. It scares me so much that she loses that. It scares me so much that she'll come home from school and say, I'm not like the other kids. Why am I not like the other kids? Why am I not like the other kids? Why do I not think or act or am like the other kids? Because I went through that. And the solace, what healed me and helped me stand my ground and be the person I am is I've been able to meet my grandparents, meet my family in South America, 
and it made me think like yeah okay I'm not just crazy my whole family on that side are crazy <laughs> and then I felt fine with myself that I wasn't going to be able to fit into this particular box right here in this country and it made so much sense that I was going to be a mix of both and that I was able to adapt to both and I, that I can adapt to both because it's in me, it's in my blood I want that story to be written for everyone in my family so that they know where we came from and why we're like this who we are what is our heritage that is important so they heal so they're relieved they don't feel lost anyway so those are my thoughts volunteer almsgiving give from the heart even though you might not see the returns the returns will come later I believe it the returns will come later thank you for listening